Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode number 78 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. This week I'm taking you to meet Daniel Baker. Daniel is an artist from the Traveller community. He curated the Future Roma exhibition at last year's Venice Biennale and has a PhD in Gypsy Visuality, more precisely Gel's Art Nexus and its potential for artists and he got that from the Royal College of Art. Being from the Gypsy Roma community, Daniel's work embraces and takes ownership of the outsiders, perceptions, stereotypes and even prejudice of that community. By reflecting and sharing its multi-layered and complex cultural history, Daniel's visual information bridges the gap between perception and reality of that Roma life. Now I've had a lot more interactions with gypsies and showmen than most, and I at one time had a lot of those perceptions, stereotypes and prejudice that I mentioned earlier. If you're on the outside of a community and are ignorant to what goes on within it, you sort of fill the gaps yourself to, to figure out why people are like they are. Which is why Daniel's work is quite vital to that relationship. Daniel's work also gives us like little snippets into the traveller's traditions, lucky charms and talismans. It definitely makes the viewer realise they don't know enough about this community and makes you want to go and find out more. And the best starting point is right here. So come with me and let me introduce you to Daniel Baker. Was you a traveller that lived on a site or or was you, you static in a, in a house? Well, my family, just before I was born, they used to live on a big site called Corks Meadow, um, a huge site in, in, uh, in Cray, which is quite well documented actually in various ways. Um, photography mostly, some some sort of film footage as well. But um, 
I'm the youngest of six. So before I was before I was born, they got housed in. Actually, after they were in the on the site for a long, long time, they got moved into some prefabs just after the war, and then they moved into the house I was born in in 1960, I think. So I, I was brought up in a in a house. I wasn't moving around. But my yeah. brothers, one of my brothers was still moving around. He was kind of um, moving around as a, as a trader with his family for a long time, actually, after that. But most of the travellers there are settled now, really. I've got seven questions that I ask each artist. Yep. How would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? Okay. Um, that's a good question. I often struggle with that. Um, people often want to know what sort of thing, what sort of things you make could look like, whether they're paintings or sculptures or whatever. I'd say I can I make shiny things. That's kind of the main thing, because that's an element that runs through all the things I do. And I make, um, I I use painting and I use sculpture as well. So, but there is a unifying theme or look in terms of often I use very kind of um, reflective materials like uh, gilding and um, uh, perspex that kind of thing so and glitter I use glitter a bit as well. I have used glitter so I make these shiny things um, and what I do with them is try to um, look at the meanings that are carried by certain um, qualities in a work so reflection shininess um you know things like signage what what we expect when we see a sign what we expect to um get from that whether we trust those signs you know i'm talking about like written signs um yeah. you know questions of authority so i would say what i make are um it's really difficult i think the most descriptive thing is shiny things yeah i'll stick with well, that when i was looking at your work I saw that what you do use quite prominent, as well as signage, is the no entry sign, which yeah. um, a lot of travelling travellers come by a lot. And as as we was when we was talking yesterday, the old sign being um, no blacks, no travellers, no Irish, yeah, being on the pub signs. That's um, right. Which is obviously a, a no entry, and also the I don't know what the name of it is now, but the you are here sign, like a little teardrop that's yes. used now for a location that's so right i feel like you're using location and lack of it in your that's, work well I, that, that's yeah you're quite right there so this idea of space and yeah. the demarcations of space who's allowed in and who's allowed out and um, boundaries exactly yeah exactly because that's that's kind of um it's a very important question in terms of um traveler life really because there's lots of restrictions as we talked about earlier about things like um traveler sites and stopping places for travelers they've kind of really been squeezed so this idea about yeah. where you can go where you're allowed to be is really crucial so this idea of the um the sign as, as you rightly point out i've made quite a few of them in different um formats so some of them are wooden signs made from wood which i found on found on an abandoned traveler site in in essex actually a few years ago, um, there were these old broken up fences that used to go around the little kind of, they were like chalets actually, they were like static caravans and it obviously, they'd obviously been, for some reason had left, I'm not sure why, so there was this kind of amazing abject landscape of these caravans 
that had been stripped of everything usable and you had these carcasses of these caravans and part of what was left were these old fences so i used the old fences which of course are again demarcations of space yeah. um, and made them into these signs there were seven signs there are seven signs um um, if they say things like no entry, private, keep out, no travellers, which is a, a recurring theme. Um, yeah, no admittance, that kind of thing. So you're quite right. That that feeling of of not being let in, as well as not wanting people to come into your space, is 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 really important. And that's something I think that um, also I try to look at in a lot of my other work. I mean, some of the signs I make are mirrored, and I, I, I mirror the signs by gilding the either the clear glass or the clear plastic. So you get this sense, or when you look at these objects, you get the sense of another space behind the picture frame, yeah. behind the picture yeah. plane. And that sense of an imaginary space is very important because I think that's a space, kind of one of the only spaces that gypsies are allowed to occupy, this imaginary space in the popular psyche, you know, Society is quite happy to think about gypsies with their lovely old caravan, you know, in the past, pitching up, yeah. sharpening a few knives. That's all lovely. But, but the reality of, a, of a, you know, a people today that have certain needs and have certain contributions to society is a different matter. So yeah. I think often what I try to do in, in, in the works is examine these ideas of, of space and, um, and occupation, perhaps. But... Um, this reflective surface is very important. Of course, that's a kind of an optical illusion because it's not a real space that you can see. Yeah. So, again, I'm very interested in these, the idea of optical illusions in terms of puzzles and visual, visual puns. Um, like at the moment, I'm trying to do some things with optical illusions, which are very kind of basic things you might find in a in a, you know, in a in a, in a kid's book about. Um, you know, magic or whatever, when you, you know, certain lines look longer if you do certain things to them yeah. or you hold a ruler by them. That very simple idea of the optical illusion is really fascinating for me because, again, it's playing with this idea of space which doesn't really exist. Um, and I think that's a very potent idea for in terms of gypsies because we don't really have a space. We don't have a homeland as such. Um, so we're kind of you know, we're kind of everywhere, but we, we've got nowhere to go, if you like, and no one yeah, really wants yeah. us there. So I think, yeah, you, you, you're quite right to point that out, actually. That's, that's very astute, that, that, that space is, is really um, a, a key factor. And I use lots of different ways to kind of examine space. Yeah, and the, the thing with the mirrors, um, I mean, as we were talking yesterday, I've had um, a lot of interactions, probably more than the most um, countrymen, as, as, as you may say, with travellers being, I've worked with showmen, um, I've, I've worked with a lot of travellers in the past from different areas all around the country. Um, I've been invited on uh, many a, a traveller site in my time and the, the use of mirrors, um, I've not seen a lot of them, but on some sites you go on and there'd be the old Roma vans, which when you go inside, it is full of mirrors. The walls are all decorated mirrors there's cabinets with the fine china plates yeah you're quite right that's that's very true and a lot of the trailers have really ornately decorated mirrors they wouldn't necessarily yeah. have pictures of them that are like painted pictures but they have like etched and um yeah and um ground kind of uh, motifs usually flowers or landscapes um 
Yeah, this idea of the mirror is incredibly important. I mean, my mum uh, bought one a while ago, which has got this kind of landscape um, on it and a really ornate gold frame. The frame's not very nice, but the mirror is lovely. And I've got that here, actually. And that, that I think, serves several purposes in terms of the caravan. Because a lot of the caravans, the, the mirror is actually integral. It's kind of bolted into the interior. So yeah, the, yeah. Day, the decor is like It's that. part of the wall as such. Exactly. And I think that serves several purposes um one to make the space feel a bit bigger i think on a practical level um and it kind of does reflect as well as reflecting the insides it reflects the outside what's happening outside so bringing the outdoors inside um and this kind of that kind of object combines functionality with ornamentality so as well as being useful and doing something it also serves to kind of give like artistic nourishment you know, it, it kind of feeds the soul in a way. So I think, yeah. I think it's um, it's a really important symbolically and practically in, in in gypsy life. That sort of realization for me was a kind of a turning point in my in my art making actually, because up until I started making the kind of work I make now, quite a few years ago, I was making very kind of um, kind of minimalist sort of modernist works which were which were interesting in fact i've got some in my flat now i live with them but but they weren't really me they weren't about me they were about art and they were about other yeah. things which is which is all very well and good but there was something missing really so when i started to look really more closely at my own visual culture of my family and my my community something kind of just clicked into place and, and i kind of realized that my interest in my interest in art and the stuff i'd learned through my study of art I could really employ some of the stuff that I'd learned kind of growing up as a child about the visual culture of, of my community and kind of combine the two and maybe see what happens there. So, yeah. So I use, I use that, I use the mirror a lot because of those things that, that you picked up on. And also because I think it's a really potent way of, of, of um, examining um, certain questions in relation to, to Gypsy, but also in relation to wider society as well. Yeah. And also on a very kind of formal level, simplistic level, when you're encountered with a mirror, you're automatically involved in the piece of work because you see yourself in it. Although the reflection yeah. is not kind of a pristine reflection because of the gilding technique I use, it's a bit fuzzy. But nevertheless, you're kind of looking for yourself in, in the middle of this. It does look like a very antique mirror yes. that's sort of been, been left um, sort of outside for for several months or even years in some cases. Yeah, that's right. As you right. say about the bling, yeah. um, historically, um, travellers, they've all been very bling, haven't yeah, they? They've, that's they've, right. They've worn their wealth on their sleeve, as it were, haven't exactly, they? Exactly, Which yeah. is why a lot of them would have big gold rings, gold chains, because historically, they wouldn't be putting it in the NatWest exactly. um, account. It would be pretty much under the, under the mattress and... And that's on your hands right. is a little show of stature within the, in their own community. Exactly, that's right. And, and I suppose, um, and like you say, with the, the Crown Derby China as well on show in, in, the, um, yeah. in, the, in the trailers, that's all about kind of showing, you know, what you've got really. But I suppose things might have been similar as well for everyone, you know, centuries ago when, when people weren't using banks. But everyone either had to hide it or, 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 or show it. So I suppose yeah. in some ways, maybe we're doing what people did hundreds of years ago and we're just kind of lagging behind a bit because... Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's become tradition. It has, you're right. And it, it's, it, it's certainly a look and it's, um, 
and it's widespread across the whole kind of the whole gypsy population worldwide that yeah. that look is kind of a constant really and yeah you know that's those signals those visual signals are really interesting to me and that's kind of yeah, that's kind of formed the basis of a lot of what I would you say done. that's the benefit of a of a quite a closed community that those traditions don't fade away that they do sort of stay rolling after generation after generation. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that 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 is that is an advantage of that. And I think that also because I think it also ties back down to this idea of mobility and moving around that yeah. even though a lot of travelers aren't moving around anymore there's still that sensibility that you know we might have to just clear up, clear up, and, go, up and go, go away yeah. at some point. So, I think that that does remain. But I think this idea of um, having a kind of um, a look which unifies a group is also in, important because because the group are so spread out, and a lot a lot of uh, throughout Europe, of course, uh, in fact the world, even in the UK, families that would um, you know might might live together for a bit, then someone will get married, they move to another part of the country, they'll come together at certain events like weddings and funerals and maybe horse fairs, that kind of thing. And if there's, um, if there's, if there can be kind of mirroring in terms of seeing people that look like you in terms of what they're wearing and what they're kind of the jewelry they're wearing, I think that's always a really kind of affirming place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I've not even introduced you yet. Okay. So I, I should, <laughs> I should add, now I'm speaking to Daniel Baker. Um, if you just let the listener know what your PhD is is in. Okay, yep. Um, so my PhD is it's called Gypsy Visuality, um, Girls Art Nexus, and it's used for artists. I think that's what it's called. Anyway, so it's about basically it's about gypsy aesthetics really because as yeah. we kind of as we've been talking about so far really, the look of things that that gypsies surround themselves with have really not been studied in any in fact, at all, um, until, you know, until I did it, really. So um, I'll take credit for that. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it always surprised me because, and I think that's because most academics, even gypsy academics, I suppose, have focused on the written word, on music, on performance, because that's, because that's what a lot of academics are kind of schooled in, you know, language. But having trained as a, as, as a visual artist and having been from the age of like 17 and having been interested in, the, in drawing and that kind of thing from when I was a child, um, my expertise has, has been in primarily in the visual arts and in the visual stuff. Um, later on, when I, when I was about 30, I think, I started to do a, um, an MA in Romani studies. Um, kind of by chance, but anyway, it was really useful for me. So there I learned how to do kind of research, sociological research, um, which is also, you know, an eye-opener for me because I realised that, first of all, I found out the, the kind of the official history of my community because it was a Romani Studies MA. But I also realised that um, through the skills I was learning, I could have access to that history. I could impact upon that history, I could write my version of what was happening for gypsies now. So it gave me, it empowered me to think, well, I can influence how my community is seen because I have the tools now. I have, you know, I've been trained how to do it. So I decided to bring those tools to the idea of visual culture for gypsies, 
which again I'm astounded that it's not been studied beforehand because it's such a it's such mm. a um, an obvious kind of um, um, arena. It does feel like a, a, an arena, as you say, like only a, a gypsy or traveller would undertake. Yeah, maybe you're right. Actually, that's a good point. Also, I think um, that things like song and performance and that kind of thing, but the very fact that they're being performed demand an audience. So I suppose yeah. an academic can be an audience and they don't feel bad about being yeah. an audience. Whereas yeah. I think the visual stuff, it's more to do with the home. It's much more intimate. So I suppose in, in a way, maybe academics in the past haven't felt able to kind of enter that space. Yeah, you're probably, yeah. actually, I hadn't thought about that. You're right. Yeah, that's a good I mean, point. Your, your work's quite conceptual. Yeah. How is it greeted by other gypsies and travellers? Well, that's a good question. Um, in quite an early show that I did, um, I was invited to do this show by um, a friend of mine, a, 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 an artist called Paul Ryan, and he invited me to do a show in Rutland. Um, and it was in a, a kind of a community space there. And um, that's where I started making these. The show was called No Travellers, and that's where I made my first No Traveller sign, and all the other things were mirrors. And the private view, no one came. No one turned up at all. <laughs> so, so. Yeah, I think we've all had a few of those. <laughs> yeah, You're not on your own there. That's right. So I thought, oh, this is interesting. This has obviously um, hit a nerve here. You know, and they did have a... a there were there were some traveller, I think, um, um, issues in the area that, that the exhibition was on. Anyway, so I thought this is I'm onto something here. If no one's if if everyone's going to ignore it, I'm onto something. So well, that's still a positive reaction, it is. isn't it? It is. Anyway, that piece of work, the the no traveller sign I showed there, with some of the other places, I, pieces of work from that show, I showed in a show in Kent, and um, quite a lot of travellers came along to that show, and. I did get some interesting reactions to the No Travellers sign. Some people took offence to it. The travellers took offence to it. They said, you know, that, that, we don't like that because it's, it's saying we're not supposed to be here. And I tried, well, I explained it by saying, yeah, I know it's, it's a really bad thing to, to have up on the wall in terms of what it's saying. But what I'm trying to do here is basically expose that racism. And um, by making it in a, into an object which is very alluring, which draws you towards it, only to push you away from it again, I'm kind of um, trying to uncover the hypocrisy around this idea of um, furtive racism, i.e. racism that doesn't really call itself what it is. It will pretend to be something else. You know, even though those signs might not still be up in places, there's still a very strong feeling of anti-gypsyism. So once I kind of explained it to them, they, they kind of got, got what I was doing. And also with some other pieces in that show, which is a kind of a, a theme I've continued, um, again, they were mirrors with things like birds or flowers painted on them, very kind of ornamental, the kind of things that I used to see when I was a kid in the glass cabinets that my parents had. You know, you'd have like a mirrored background, you'd have your china on the shelves, and then you'd have glass doors, which are kind of often gilded and, and yeah. painted with various things. So again, this is going back to that kind of childhood experience of, of, of the visual. Um, but then I would, with these motifs, these decorative motifs, I would kind of graffiti them and put uh, uh, marker pen them out and, you know, scribble across them. So again, they'd ask me, they'd say, why have you done that lovely picture? And then you scribbled it out. 
you know, you put all that paint over, you spray painted over it. Why have you done that? I'd like to have that in my flat otherwise, you know, or in my trailer otherwise. And I kind of, again, I kind of explained that, well, what I'm doing with these things is, is looking at the kind of, in a very simplistic way, in a way, but looking at visual metaphors for the kind of two polar ways that gypsies are experienced in the, in the popular imagination, i.e. the romanticised or demonised. So I'm, I'm bringing visual representations of, visual representations of these two ideas together, i.e. the ornamental and the destructive mark, yeah. and kind of marrying them. And in my opinion, the marriage is very aesthetically kind of troubling and pleasing at the same time. And it's that kind of, not going any, that kind of duality I want to, I want to get through in the work. And again, once I'd explained that, they, they, they kind of, they, they, they got a lot more out of them. I think they'd still like to have had them without the, the graffiti on, but, yeah. but they could see what I was doing. Generally, the, the, the feeling is, is, is positive because a lot of the things I do are echoing the qualities of objects they have in their own homes. So I think that's quite affirmational in some ways to go into, yeah. let's say into a, a, you know, maybe a, a different kind of gallery, a bit more kind of white space gallery and see elements from your home life on the walls reflected back at you. I think that's, that's a positive thing for a lot of travellers, I think. Yeah, well, the similarities between you showing your work to um, your community and, and my work being around, um, or the foundations of my work being around prison and me trying to get mine across to people in prison and, and, and who have been in prison, it seems like we've got similar sort of um, battles to fight. You know, you, you're trying to get artwork across to people who have had no experience with that type of art. Yeah. The, the only experience they've normally had um, is the the pictures that they've found in their family home, album covers and tattoos is the yeah. only artwork or, or the main artwork they tend to know. That's and right. If, if you bring some of those in, because I thought I saw the the, the ones you're talking about was was with a, a picture of was it a swallow or a, a bird? At yeah. Least. I thought that was a tattoo when I first saw it. Okay. Yeah, I did look at tattoos actually to to um to do some works in the past, but I couldn't couldn't find one. But but you're right. That idea of of that kind of ornamentality, which I think is common to to quite a, quite a few groups, um, again symbolising ideas of freedom, possibly with the bird and that kind yeah. of thing. But I think you're right in terms of incorporate elements within an idea that you're trying to pursue, elements that people will be able to read and and have kind of some kind of affinity with. It gives yeah. it gives a way into the work, I think, which which I think is useful. But also, I think. Um, Often, it's interesting what you say about looking at people looking at art and their experience of art. A lot of the people that, um, as you said, would be seeing these objects, um, certainly in, in the traveller community, in the gypsy community, their experience of art is very limited, I think. And I think I, this is something I've written about quite a lot, actually, and I'm really interested in. The idea of, of, of what can... Um, you know, enter this realm of, of the art object. Um, because I think certainly within gypsy communities, Roma communities, the idea of the art object is very absent. It's very kind of over there. As you said, it's kind of not really in the realm of experience. But instead, um, there's a great deal of artistic practice that takes place. And, but, but that's 
but the people that are experiencing that and making it in, in, in the community wouldn't consider it to be art. Whereas yeah. I, in fact, I certainly would, def most definitely would. So this idea, again, we're talking about boundaries between where art begins and where other, and where other kinds of objects kind of start, that, that boundary is really interesting for me, which is why I use a lot of kind of craft and that hobby type techniques in, in yeah, what I'm yeah. doing at the moment or, or kind of traditional. It's, it's more obvious in maybe in some of the mirrored stuff. I use traditional kind of gilding techniques, which are much certainly much more in the, in the realm of, of craft or, or I think, yeah, I can't think of another word for that actually. Um, but also domestic art practice like knitting, I'm kind of doing quite a lot of stuff with that at the moment. So yeah. you, you're, you're, you're quite right about that idea. And I, I imagine it's the same in terms of like with tattoos, they're certainly, a, 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 you know, an art practice, but wouldn't necessarily be seen as such because they're doing yeah. lots of other things as well. So I think that whole idea of where art begins and where it finishes is really fascinating. Well, I, I've found, and I, I presume it's the same for you, the payoff when you get someone who has no interest in art interested in something that you're doing because it relates to them personally is huge. Absolutely. That, that's, that's really satisfying. You're right. And, and I think when that happens, it, it's encouraging because it, it helps you to think that um, maybe you're kind of onto something, you know, with that way of working. I mean, I suppose it depends on each individual piece of work. But if, if someone is picking up on something which, um, you know, might not even have been intended by you because of a juxtaposition of two, two yeah. kinds of, uh, you know, ideas or, or, or motives, that's really useful. And I think, that, I think that's the only way we kind of move forward with our work because, you know, we can, we can spend loads of time with the making of it and think we know what, you know, what's happening. But when we get that kind of feedback, it really enhances our understanding of what we're doing. And it Definitely. allows us to be able to do, do kind of more or less of that. Yeah. I mean, when, when was your first interest in art? Because as, as I said earlier, I've met loads of travelers and gypsies in my time. Um, most of them, and, and I'm generalizing and, and it feels awful saying it to, to a traveler, but generalizing, most of them have left school by the time they're 14 to yeah. work with their family. Academia isn't somewhere where any of the guys that I've ever met want to yeah. venture to. No, I think you're right. That, that, that is a common experience, really. Certainly um, in my family, most of my brothers and sisters left school as soon as they could, and they, they you know, started families and got jobs, and you know, they've, 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 they've had good lives. And um, I think that access to education has always been tricky for, for, for travellers because um, what well, and any number of reasons really um, you know, discrimination within the school towards gypsies by other students um, or teachers as well that that's been a you know a recurrent problem um, maybe pressures from family as well to um, you know for people to start earning money earlier on yeah and also in terms of um, higher education I think it's um, Certainly now, anyway, with, with with fees and that kind of thing. But earlier on, when when there was um, more availability of uh, grants and things like that, yeah, I don't know why there's not been that um, feeling to kind of move in that direction. I mean, I mean, how did you move in that direction right, as a child? Did you like art as a child? Yeah, I did actually. I, I was quite good at drawing when I was at, when I was very young. So, and when you get praised for something, it kind of encourages you to do more of it. So. Yeah. I used to do more, I used to practice quite a lot. And um, all through school, I wanted to be, I think I wanted to be an artist all through school because I was quite good at it and I knew it was kind of one of the things I could do. 
And so when we came to um, deciding what we're doing after uh, secondary school, I decided I wanted to go to art school. And I, I told kind of my, you know, uh, careers officer this. And, um, and I went to a quite a good school. And he, uh, just after I mentioned this to the careers officer, the headmaster, the deputy head actually, called me into his office to talk about going to art school. And he basically said, you know, it's a no-hoper. Don't bother going to art school because you're not going to get anywhere. And I didn't really want to do anything else. So I kind of went to art school anyway. And um, yeah, so w when I was a child, as I say, I kind of picked up that that was something I could do. But also I think I was quite stimulated by the things my parents had around them. So I'm sure that had some kind of influence about, yeah. you know, if I saw something fantastic, uh, on a shelf, I'd maybe think about how how that was achieved, maybe subconsciously, certainly not consciously, but um, also I was encouraged to kind of do what I wanted to do, really. And I think that's true yeah. with a lot of um, gypsy children, um, as in all families, of course, they're precious things, children. But I think um, really there is a lot of freedom in terms of the young people deciding what, what they want to do. And there was no resistance. And I think my my mum, I mean, my dad had died by then, actually, but my mum was pleased to, for me to be doing something I enjoyed doing. So yeah. I kind of got into art school because I had a portfolio and I didn't want to do anything else, really. And I was used to kind of being, I was used to studying. So I knew that, that there was a path that I could follow there. And that was quite exciting, that whole period, just before going and thinking what it would be like and stuff. Of course, reality is yeah. quite different, but... Um, and and was it while you was studying that you realised you wanted to be an artist. When I did the interview for my place at art school, because the place I went to was, it was called Ravensbourne. And at the time it was a really good fashion school as well. It was a good painting school as well. Um, so when I went, I, I told them I wasn't sure if I wanted to do for the fashion foundation or the, the painting foundation. And they said, well, just come along and decide once you get here. So I got yeah. there and I decided to do the, the, the painting foundation course. and. Um, yeah, I think it was a good move. I mean, I think there would have been lots more money in the fashion bit, but but I decided not to go that yeah. way. <laughs> Which piece that you've created um, has the strongest emotional connection? I think that the piece I talked about earlier, the No Travellers sign, I think that, that was a... I had made a test piece before that using mirror. Sorry. Was that... Because you've you done... Sorry, you've done a clear one as well, didn't you? A clear perspex That's right. I did a clear perspex one. That's right. Um, I did that for... Um, Again, Paul Ryan commissioned me to do a piece for a show that he was having. Um, um, and I decided to make something that, which touched upon my research, um, but also fitted him with the theme for his exhibition. And yeah, I had this, basically it's, it's quite a small piece. It's a sheet of kind of clear perspex about two foot long and about six inches high. And it's got the words, oh. no, no travellers cut out of it. So it's... Yeah. Um, and it hangs on a piece of chain from the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you don't really see it unless the kind of the light catches it. And because yeah. I, I saw there was nothing there to give it scale. Okay. I figured it was, you know, like a, a meter or so long. You know. Okay. Well, that's interesting because you know, that's probably in the pipeline. But um, the re I made this piece of work, that piece of work that that you've mentioned, um, because I. On the radio, I heard a comedy. It was a comedy program, and and it was really. I really liked the program. Actually, I found it very funny until we got to this bit when the person talked about hunting gypsies as a sport and oh. killing them as a sport. 
And I thought, oh, that's that's not right. Anyway, so yeah. um, anyway, I wrote to the BBC and said, um, I object to this part. You know, why do you think that's okay to say that? And they wrote back saying they'd spoken to the author, you know, to the to the comedian who'd written the show and who performed it. He didn't mean any offence by it. And basically, the case was closed. This was about 20 years ago. And basically, because I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere with the BBC, um, they, I decided to make a piece of work. So in this exhibition that my friend invited me to be in, I made this Perspex sign and printed the correspondence and had it on the wall with the sign. And the piece is called Clear Sign. And it's basically, again, about this idea of... of um, of racism, which which is kind of elusive, which people won't admit to, but it's there, and you know you, you just catch glimpses of it now and again. So this clear piece of work, transparent piece of work, is a kind of embodiment of that idea of of fleeting kind of uh, yeah. racism, really. When you see, I mean, even when I see on the telly travellers depicted, you can tell when the writer has done absolutely fuck all research. Because you just go, well, travellers don't do that. Travellers don't. And you don't even have to be close or, or of, of had experience with travellers to go, well, hold on a minute. That's not even, yeah. you know, th that wouldn't even happen. There was a, a programme recently called, um, I think, Gangs of London. And okay. they have an interaction with, with a traveller site. Yeah. And they go on to this travel and they've just found a muddy field and found some really crappy caravans on it. Right. That it just wouldn't. You know, it no. just wouldn't happen, you know. No, that's right. That's right. I think um, a lot of the stuff I see on TV or in film, I mean, a lot, certainly not a lot of the, the, the kind of the drama stuff. It's a very, it's, I mean, using um, the gypsy character or the gypsy landscape as a kind of a shortcut for, you know, for trouble is, is uh, yeah. so common. It's ridiculous. And, um, but also in terms of factual programs, so-called factual programs, which, basically put themselves up as, you know, documentaries, but in fact, they're just entertainment. And they, they spin a yeah. lot of rubbish about, about gypsies and travellers. And, um, but I've stopped watching them now, really, because it's, so, it's just so frustrating. And, yeah. you know, they don't even make any attempt to disguise the fact that they're, it's all kind of a bit tongue-in-cheek. They're not even taking it seriously themselves, the, these yeah. people that are making these programmes. There was one on recently, I won't even name it, but they were talking about crime. And um, the woman presenting it said... These are some examples of crime near to traveller sites. And it almost mm. under her breath, so we could barely hear it, she said, many, um, most traveller sites do not have any raised areas of crime. In fact, some have even less raised levels of crime. You know, like she had to say it, but she didn't want to say it. Yeah, so yeah, it's frustrating. Although there was a film called Snatch. I don't know if you saw I that. I haven't one. seen that, no. And, and that, there's Irish traveller families in that. Yes. And even when I was looking, when I was watching that, I did think, oh, they must have done their research here. And then I found out later that there was a, a boxer I used to know called Bobby Frankham, um, who was a traveller. Yeah. And it turns out that he had brought, he brought Brad, Brad Pitt into his, onto his site and Brad Pitt stayed on his site for a number of days and they was teaching him the culture. And so he did really immerse himself into their okay. culture before, like, you know, as a bit of research for his character. Oh, okay. And it showed, uh, oh, okay. from what I saw, anyway, with my little bit of knowledge. Yeah, I haven't seen the film. I've seen snippets of him talking, and he, his his accent's quite convincing. Yeah. yeah. It's, that kind of twang is quite convincing, yeah. yeah. But again, I haven't seen the film, but um, maybe I should watch it. What do you do to relax, Daniel? 
Um, that's a good question. Um, I've got an allotment which I go to. Um, nice. And um, I, I, I mean, my, my partner go to it quite often. And um, my favourite bit is a pond. We've got a pond on there which we, which was under a willow tree. We moved it to kind of um, a, to get a bit more light, and it's got loads of newts and things in it. And that's really fascinating. I'm not so good at all the planting and stuff and deciding what goes where, but <laughs> I'm happy to do a bit of weeding and that kind of thing. Yeah, but... yeah. The veg, the veg can treat itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. But being there's nice, you know. And actually, the most interesting thing is there's loads of wildlife there. There's a family of foxes there, and they come out yeah. occasionally. And there's there's things like uh, lizards. And you know, when I was a child, I never ever saw a lizard or a frog in the wild. No. And I lived, you know, almost in the countryside. So it's fascinating on this kind of you know urban allotment to see these creatures. It's amazing. Maybe I just wasn't yeah. looking for them before. I don't know. But that's that's really interesting. Yeah, well, I was sitting around a friend's house recording a, a podcast just a few weeks ago, sitting in a back garden. And as as I'm talking to her, all of a sudden, uh, a little lizard went running across the back path and climbed up the wall. Wow. And I'd never, and like you, I'd never, I'd seen the odd newt, which is sort of pretty similar. Yeah, but... yeah amazing, amazing. And I also saw a, a bumblebee nest just kind of, and I'd never seen one before. And I wouldn't, no. only because I saw a little... There was like a black hole and these bees kept coming in and out of it. Yeah, Not like a beehive, yeah. but I thought, well, I'd never, I'd never seen that when I was younger. So It does make you think, like, well, where have I been for, <laughs> yeah, does, for these so yeah. many years I've been on the planet? I have never seen that. If there was you and five other artists, yeah. past or present, yeah. what would your ideal group show be? Um, well, I suppose, think about it in terms of what would kind of work in the space, and also people that I, whose work I really like. Um, I think number one would be Andy Warhol because I, lo I love his work. And what I'd probably, what I really like is, uh, have you seen the show at the Tate? It closed no. almost as soon as it opened, but it's opening again yeah. next week, I think. And they've got some of his, um, I think they're called um, um, screen test um, films. And they're basically... I think they're 15 minutes long and basically he just points the camera at someone and they just kind of sit there for 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah and they are nice. endlessly fascinating to me because he's taking something, he's taking nothing and making us look at it. And in that we see a whole world and we see a whole psyche. Yeah. And that's fantastic. Of course, I love all these pop art stuff as well. All these paintings I love, but those videos, I, I really enjoy their films. I think they're films. Yeah. I really enjoy yeah. because again, he's, and also the ones are like, um, um, Empire State building, you know, when he's just got it on it for 15 hours yeah. or something. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't watch the whole thing, but this, the idea is fantastic. And the one where someone's sleeping, you know, for, for eight hours, whatever, and it's just yeah. a camera on yeah. there. I find those really fascinating. Um, so Andy Warhol, um, a painter called Toma Abs. I really like her work, kind of the quite small abstract paintings. Again, they're looking at this idea of the optical illusion, yeah. And I can't tell whether they're abstract or whether whether she's actually painted something, whether she's maybe set this thing up and painted it, which again yeah. is really interesting because this idea of of the illusion of painting something that doesn't really exist but looks like it could exist. Yeah, and forcing uh, you to question what's in front of you is always good. Exactly, exactly. So definitely Tom adds, um, an artist called Josephine Mexepa. She's... Um, she she does some films but she also does a lot of work i've shown with her actually um a couple of times 
and she makes these installations which are kind of like shop she uses a lot of shop display ephemera like um glass shelves mirrored things so they look like something you see in a in a shop in brick lane really but i find those really interesting because i'm i'm kind of quite interested in, in the materials that she uses the reflective materials but also this idea of of presenting something for display but doing that in a very self-conscious way yeah so her so she's kind of sculptural installation type person but really good films as well um an artist called Cy Twombly, who yeah. is again another American. Um, yeah. Like I, I really love his work again because a bit like Warhol, he's taking something, he's taking nothing and, and making something out of it. Like his scribbly bits, yeah, his yeah. kind of, um, you know, those kind of really kind of. I mean, they're so kind of tender and they really make you. They're really moving, I think, and they touch upon this idea of, um, I suppose. The human mark. I don't. I don't know what it is really about, but I find them very, very kind of emotional. So, Cy Twombly, I would have in it, and um, another artist would be um, Elizabeth Price. She she did. Uh, she was my supervisor for my PhD, and um, she's. I think more recently she's making films, but she was making objects for a while, which I found really fascinating. So. I think that would make quite an interesting show, actually, with the with the six of us all together, with my work included nice. in that. I think it would be yeah. be a good kind of dialogue across across the works, really. Yeah, it sounds like there'd be a good flow from yeah. one to another. I think easily so. curated. Yes, it, it could be in a in a good order. Exactly, exactly. Speaking of curation, um, last year's Venice Biennale, you cur- curated a show there. I did. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was um, a show called Future Roma. And it was commissioned by an organisation called the European Roma Institute for Arts and Culture. And they basically ran a competition to, um, to invite someone to curate Not a much. show at the Venice Biennale. Yeah, a, a Roma exhibition at the Venice Biennale. There had been two previous exhibitions, um, one in 2007 and one in 2011. This was the third one. And this was the, the first one basically funded by a Roma organisation. Um, nice. So that's that was being very exciting actually because it uh, it was well received. It's um, used it includes fourteen artists from eight different countries. Um, and again, as I touched on earlier, I'm very interested in this idea of domestic art practice and hierarchies of artistic practice really, and how how um, different types of ways of working can inform each other. And I, I kind of almost look at this hierarchies of practice, let's say, between, con, you know, high art, low art, contemporary art, you know, folk art, vernacular art. Um, I think I use those as, as ways of looking at basically um, divisions within society, really, you know, yeah, yeah. juxtaposition between the marginalised and the, and the elite centre ground. So what I'm trying to do with these, um, with a lot of my work, and particularly with the Future Roma exhibition, is to to challenge those preconceptions about what's meaningful and what's not meaningful, what's of value and what's not of value. Yeah. And um, that that's been really good for me to do. And in fact, I'm working on the catalogue for it at the moment, which has been interesting to me to get down some of those ideas in an essay for the for the beginning of it, but also invite some of the people involved to. To give their kind of ideas about what's been happening yeah. in the show and what and why it's why it's why it's important. And it and was a, it was it was 
I mean, Roma is in the title. Did each artist have to be from a Roma background, or was their work focusing on the, the Roma traditions and, and communities? Well, in this particular show, each of the artists is from a Roma background. That's Excellent. right. So, they're, um, uh, Roma, the term Roma kind of is, it, it covers Gypsy, Roma, and Traveller because there are lots of yeah. different, diff lots of different Gypsy and Roma groups across Europe. And basically, Roma is the kind of umbrella term which, which is yeah. used, which is useful politically, you know, a, a, as a kind of a, a unifying kind of factor. So, yeah, all, I decided to have all, all Roma artists. Biennale before was a mixture of Roma and non-Roma. I was in, also involved in that, actually. I exhibited that and I was advisor to that as well. And the one before that was all Roma artists as well. So um, I decided to go again because, because there's so few opportunities for Roma to show in that kind of environment. I wanted to make the most of that and create as many opportunities as possible, really. Um, and, um, and I think it's, it's been... It's been well received, and um, it's actually transferring to a really good gallery in Florence in September called Villa Romana. So we're going to have the show there. Um, it'll be the same artworks, the same artists, but a different configuration to to accommodate yeah. the space. Yeah. But that's going to be fantastic. And um, yeah, it's the, the show. The show's been important for me because it's brought together lots of things I've been thinking about for a long time. Certainly about how artistic practice can be seen as a kind of um, uh, a metaphor for social um, inequality. And it's a way of looking at those things which is not directly political, so it's kind of more accessible to a lot of people, I think. You know, I've been involved in the political arena previously, and I, I find that area quite difficult because things are often quite black and white. Either it's happening or it's not, or, you know, yeah. you're winning this or you're not winning this. Um, so certainly in the art arena, I think you can... Be a lot more effective in terms of moving things things forward by using art um, in terms of making, but also in terms of you know bringing things to people's attention by being a mediator for yeah. for certain works of art and maybe presenting an argument by employing elements of those works. When I was in Venice for this year's uh, for last year's Biennale, uh, whereabouts whereabouts was it? I I didn't see it. Yeah, it was um it was a place called Dorsoduro, which is near the um, um, the Peggy Guggenheim uh, Museum. So it's kind yeah. of, it's the bit that looks across to the other island. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit out of the way, but it, we, get, we, got, we got about um, 17,000 visitors, actually, while, while nice. we were open. So, but it, it wasn't kind of an, on the main drag really anywhere. Yeah, because I, I didn't realise how widespread it was. I mean, the, the, my, my friend Leu took me, for, he took me from a 50th. Oh, lovely. Um, He'd been there a couple of times before, so he knew how vast it was. And I'd never been to Venice before anyway. And, uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was the, the best art experience I've, I've ever had, without a doubt. It is fantastic. It, it, it is amazing. Uh, we had a bit of a, an issue at the end um, when, with the flooding. You know, there was a lot of flooding there in sort of October. Yeah. So we had to close two weeks early, actually. We were on for eight months, so we, we had a good run. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure how... They need to sort something out there because it's not going to be viable for much longer if they, if, it, if they don't do something. Because, yeah. but you know, it's creaking at the seams that city, isn't it? It's um, it's so overladen with 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 sort of tourism and visitors. But it was it was a fantastic experience, and we we um, yeah, it, it, 
fortunately the floods happened at the end so we didn't have to close halfway through but um it, it was it was a brilliant thing to do if you wasn't an artist what would you like to be um i don't know who i'd be actually that's a good question something that involved just making things really um yeah. i don't know really people who have wanted to be an artist all of their life have always struggled with this question yeah i don't really know what I do now involves so much, as you know, involves so many different skills and so many different activities yeah. that it would seem like something else would just be another activity to do, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm stumped by that one, I'm afraid. There's not much going on at the moment with, um, well, things have started to, to sort of move again yeah, slightly. Yeah, gradually, yeah. Have you got anything coming up? Yep, I've got, um, as you say, things have been quiet. A few things I was working on I've been kind of cancelled or postponed, but um, I've got something coming up in the Off Biennale in Budapest, which has been postponed to beginning of next year. So recently, the, the piece I'm going to be showing in that is a couple of years old, but because of lockdown and we not been able to get around so much, I've kind of picked up on that series again because I think it has relevance. And it's called the Emergency Artifact series. And um, so it's, it's using, um, I'm using crochet basically and using different materials to do things with that. Yeah. So that's been quite interesting. I've been working quite a lot over the past um, few years with an organization called the Romani Cultural and Arts Company. Yeah. And I've been working with them both as an artist because they have been commissioning work from Gypsy Roman traveler artists over the past, I think, five or six years. And um, basically the only organization in the world which has been doing that um, until recently. So really groundbreaking stuff that they've been doing. So they've commissioned some work from me uh, in terms of artwork, but also I've been working with them as a mentor, basically working with other artists that they commissioned. So um, we, the latest incarnation of this was an exhibition, it was Gypsy Maker 4. That's the, the title of the initiative is Gypsy Maker. This was the fourth edition. And um, we've been working with two artists, Dan Turner and Cass Holmes, and they had three shows lined up for this spring. We did the first show in Newport in, in Wales. Two other, two other two shows are kind of been, one was virtual, the other one in Cardiff has been postponed. So I'm gonna be hopefully putting that up in September. Um, so, and working on the catalog now for the future Emma exhibition, which hopefully will be coming out soon. But um, yeah, hopefully things are gonna pick up in the near future. Uh, but it's the same for everyone, isn't it? It's a difficult time for everyone, yeah. really. Where can people see your work, Daniel? Um, social media or website? I have a website. Um, it's quite simple, danielbaker.net. I'm not very um, up to speed on other social media, really. So um, I, I should try and get that going a bit more. But it looks like a full-time job to me, to be honest. And, you know, I, 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 it's enough work making the work, maybe curating some shows here and there. And curating a page... On a on a social media site, it seems like it's just even more work to do. And so I'm, I've kind of resisted it so far. But well, that's it, Daniel. That's all my questions asked. Well, brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. A real pleasure. Real pleasure. There we have it, Daniel Baker. How cool was that? Didn't I tell you you'd want to find out more about the traveller community? Now the next point of contact is Daniel's website, which is danielbaker.net. On Daniel's site, you'll see a lot of the artworks we spoke about in this podcast. 
He's not yet on Instagram, but considering it as we speak, I almost bloody envy him, to tell you the truth. But if he does decide to go onto it, he'll tell me, and then I'll let you know. So, like I say every week, on whichever platform you listen to this podcast, you should be able to leave a comment. If you could, that would really help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast. It'll only take a few seconds and will be much appreciated. So, thanks for listening, and until next week, ta-da. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.